0: Hey, what's up, friends? Yes, you're right. It's another midweek episode. I hope you're doing well. Can I be honest with you for a minute? I have enough interviews to get me through almost the middle of December at this point. Already recorded. So it's been a really wild couple months of recording some amazing interviews and guests. And right now I'm kind of taking a pause on bringing on new people because I don't want to get so far ahead where I interview someone today and it comes out in January. But I have been doing more of these YouTube live conversations. I dropped my uh, response video with Trip Fuller on the podcast last week, which I actually did really well downloads wise, which makes me wonder and I would love some feedback from you on this. Do you enjoy longer form episodes that go longer than an hour? Because that conversation with Trip is like almost two and a half hours long, and it's one of our highest downloaded episodes in a week. Ever, which honestly makes me thrilled. I am glad I'm glad to see so many downloads, but I'd be curious to hear from you What do you want to see more of on the podcast? I'm really experimenting right now, frankly uh, We're really trying to grow our youtube channel I'm doing more and more lives with scholars and other kinds of guests including this this episode I'm actually dropping which was a youtube live originally and I would love to know what you think about them Do you enjoy this format? Do you want more of these do you enjoy having two podcasts a week from us? I always get concerned Um, that I'm overwhelming you as the audience with almost too much content. Because frankly, there's just so much to get to and so much to respond to and so many conversations to have that I can feel like, uh uh-oh, I hope I'm not drowning you in content. But hey, if you want more content, I can definitely turn it up a notch for sure. So I would love to know what you think. You can shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me. Um, podcast at the new evangelicals.com just let me know what you think that would be awesome and this episode like I said earlier is one of those YouTube conversations I brought on Brian Recker he kind of exploded in the past two and a half months on Instagram he's a former pastor Who was just kind of sharing his experience, why he left, and his thoughts on things like the welfare state and why he thinks that's a good thing, and he took off. So we had a really awesome YouTube Live conversation, digging into his story, what it was like being a pastor, why he stepped away, why he's still a Christian, and what he wants to do going forward. So we had a lot of fun. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode, and again, would love your feedback if you're enjoying A, two episodes a week, B, longer form content, and C, more response-driven Content um, that I've done before, you know, with folks like Trip Fuller or Jem Bird, etc. So let me know, would love to hear. And by the way, let me just say this is it. This is the last week to enter our Many Hands Make Light Work giving campaign. If you want to win some potentially amazing prizes like free merch, free coffee from Mad Priest Coffee, our friends over there in Chattanooga or co-host the podcast with me like our previous winner last year Alyssa did or be the first recipient ever of our first ever TNE mystery box, this is what you want to do. Any new monthly donation of $5 or more gets you entered and any one-time donation of $30 or more gets you entered. Let me just say, the reason we do this is because as a nonprofit, we do not operate behind paywalls, meaning you get access to every podcast episode, the full recordings, without having to pay money to us monthly. So because of that, we rely on the generosity of people like yourself to make this work possible. All donations are tax deductible. So we're starting to get to the end of the year. If you want to get that sweet tax write-off, may I politely and respectfully suggest that you donate to us to get the write-off and to fund work that you believe in. And, I will be announcing the winners within a week or two. So the uh, this many hands make light this many hands make light work giving campaign ends September 30th, which is this Saturday, and I'll pick winners next week you'll be notified if you win. Thank you so much for your support friends. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing our podcast. One other update for you. I know this is a longer intro, but I really believe in transparency, so it's key for me to tell you this. I just got back from a 4-day Retreat with most of our board and two of our key volunteers, really unpacking what do the next two to five years of TNE look like? How do we develop a better content strategy? How do we develop our community spaces better? We really pulled the whole thing apart. It was awesome. There is so much work to do, but let me just tell you, I am more motivated than ever. We know what we have to do. We know where we need to go and we're developing the plan to get there. And that does include fundraising, by the way. You know, funding is the key to all of us. It's how we hire more staff, et cetera so if you're one of our donors thank you so much if you want to become one now's the time to do it to become part to be entered into the the giveaway and win some cool prizes and i will keep you apprised as we develop more and are able to tell you more about the direction we're heading in between the podcast, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and all the community stuff. So, all right, long intro, I know. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Brian. Again, we'd love your feedback. Give us a rating and review. It really helps us out. So grateful that you're here listening. Talk to you all later on. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome another YouTube Live. I've been doing a lot of these lately. We've had Trip Fuller on. We've had Dr. Jennifer Bird on, and and others. And tonight we have another amazing guest um, that we'll introduce here in a second. But first, welcome in. If you're new, you're watching the New Evangelicals live stream. We are a nonprofit designated to holding space for folks marginalized by the evangelical church, advocating for accountability inside the evangelical church, and helping people explore the. Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. We are a nonprofit. We do podcasts, Instagram, TikTok, the whole nine, and tonight you're on our YouTube and I think maybe Facebook. I think I'm live streaming to Facebook. I'm like 80% sure, so welcome in, friends. This will be a fun conversation because... The person I'm talking to used to be a pastor, is no longer a pastor, and then he like blew up on Instagram, because I guess Instagram likes guys with tattoos, so it started pushing out his videos. Then I found him, and I'm like, oh shit, we should talk, and then I thought, you know, we should do this in front of a live audience, because that way the audience can start asking questions and engage with us, and I can pop up people's comments in real time like for example this one whoa sarah you made it so stoked you two found each other yes it was love at first sight i totally agree so anyway without further ado friends i have on the podcast with me brian wrecker hello brian how are you
1: uh, how's it going tim
0: how was my intro that was so good i was just oh, like Man, this
1: guy's amazing
0: he's so oh <laughs> wow brian i'm honored <laughs> Honestly though, it is, good. Over here. <laughs> it is good to finally, you know, talk to you. We talked a little bit behind the scenes. We chatted before we started the broadcast and and had already had a good conversation. So it is great, honestly, to have you on the, the YouTubes and you know with the live audience and talking to me. I guess to kind of get us kicked off, I just kind of want to know maybe a brief Cliff Notes version of like your history, you know, being a pastor and then kind of what you're doing now. We can we'll dive into all the details, but give us like the, the big picture overview.
1: Okay, big picture overview. I was uh, born and raised, not in evangelicalism, but in uh, conservative fundamentalism. I was an independent fundamental Baptist by- IFB.
0: IFB. You were in the
1: IFB? IFB, yeah. My dad and mom met at Bob Jones University. Oh my God. I am a Bob Jones University graduate. You are lying to me, Brian. I met my wife at Bob Jones University, yeah. Um, Yeah, that's right. And so that was my background. Oh I grew up in, in that. Um, and so for me, in, in college, discovering some mainstream evangelical voices, Tim Keller at the time, Mark Driscoll, uh, John Piper, these guys, I was like, wow, like normal people, and you can be a Christian, <laughs> but like wear jeans, you know, like that was revolutionary. <laughs> my big step yeah. of progressivism, like was, was coming out of fundamentalism and being a normal ass evangelical that could wear jeans and have a beer occasionally. <laughs> And so that was a big progressive step that I took at the time. Um, And yeah, basically, you know, I was that kid that always grew up being asked, are you going to be a pastor like your dad? My answer was always no, because there was nothing appealing to me about that fundamentalist world. Once I found some voices that resonated with me better like you know like i mentioned keller where it was like okay you can be a christian but not sound like a total idiot who's just screaming about hell all the time you can sound a bit more nuanced you can sound kind of suave and culturally savvy and be a cool new yorker yeah yeah i was kind of like maybe i could do this and so it was almost like i became the pastor that i knew my dad wanted me to be without but i had to do it my way but i didn't know of anything beyond you know, theological, really evangelical orthodoxy. I, I was yeah, yeah. too nervous to step outside of that. But my big progressive step at the time was to step into a mainstream evangelicalism. So I became a pastor um, at a school. First, I joined the Marine Corps. That's another story. Uh, started, Helped start a church in North Carolina. And I was a pastor for about eight and a half years before ultimately stepping away from that. During COVID was really uh, the pause that I needed to make some reevaluations mm. about the movement that I was in. And we can get into all the different reasons i'm sure they're the same reasons that you hear over and over and over and over again um but it really did come to a head for me during covid and i stepped away took a couple of years just kind of processing in myself and then you know kind of just started talking just externally processing on the internet and you know it's kind of blown up just a little bit for me i mean it's not crazy but it's been cool to have a lot of people joining the conversation You know?
0: Well, you're not alone because we have an IFBPK in the hey. chat with us. So, all right, there you go. We're still together. There you go. Well, it, baby. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because let me ask you this. Were you homeschooled because I was for 9 years. Oh, Were you a homeschooled kid? Yet. Oh, were you okay? So so my my engagement with Bob Jones was my mom used their um satellite curriculum. We actually had a satellite (laughs) installed and we had to angle it the right way and then we had to record the sessions on a VHS tape. But my looking back, I'm a parent. My mother must have been really committed because that woman was recording like I mean, we had stacks of videos and they had to be in order at the right time. Okay, and okay, let me this this is such a deep cut. If for those of you who don't talking about you're going to get this were you also jealous that you couldn't call in live to ask yeah, questions absolutely. like the cool kids absolutely. could on their
1: phones yeah because they were in the christian schools that did it yeah. and i just had to observe and like <laughs> I, I remember my spanish class it was like all these country ass kids that would call in and they'd be like uh hablo SPN,
0: yo and i was like i would do so much better if i could only call in yes they had those cool phones you can like submit ant anyway that that's that's if you're if you're out there and you know what we're talking about you're not alone high five because anyway i grew up homeschooled okay so so that's interesting so let me ask you this then i mean Wow, so you're, went, you went to college at Bob Jones University, and friends. If you don't know, you know, if you follow our content, we talk about Bob Jones a lot because Bob Jones, the founder of B.J.U., uh, his claim to fame was was essentially suing the government to, for his right to keep his schools. Essentially segregated right. interra- uh, when it came to interracial marriage. You know, his big thing was the government cannot take away our tax exempt status because we will not allow interracial dating because it's our God given right. So that's the foundation of you the school. You
1: to die on, you know. You, God, it's so fucking embarrassing. <laughs> well,
0: I mean, I, I hate to rub salt in the wound, uh, the wound, Brian, but it's more embarrassing when you realize that they that, that they undid that policy in 2001. <laughs>
1: Well, thankfully i went there after that but yeah it's a little it's very late in the game you know it's a little what was
0: it like for you going to school at bob jones university i mean at that point were you kind of like were you all in on the, on this the belief system the theology you, you went there to learn more about that or what, what was that like you know,
1: so i think um if there's any of my bj friends on here they can attest bob jones is a weird thing like there were there were the boges that was the group of kids that were like they were bought in that drank the kool aid that was like probably only 15 to 20% of the school population. Everybody else was like being made to go there. (laughs) And I I feel like I was in a weird place in that, so I was homeschooled. For me, Bob Jones felt um, almost nice because it was nice to be social and the rules were normal to me because i was raised on those rules it wasn't weird for me to have to live in that very strict way i was never allowed to listen to cool music so (laughs) bob jones you can't listen to any cool music that was that was my life so uh, that was fine i didn't miss it um no rated r movies that's fine my dad if i found if he found rated r movies he threw them away you know so the rules were normal for me but it was like nice to finally have friends that I was going through it with together. There's like a shared suffering sort of thing. Mm. And then you kind of find your people there as well. Um, and so I kind of drifted into like the rebellious sort of group, I guess. Um, they, they, they force you into these things called societies, which are like fake fraternities. And you're, okay. here's how it's not cool. You have to be in one. Everybody is in one. <laughs> yeah. That's how you make something that cool. So I was in KAI delt And here, here's one cool story about KAI Delt. When I Tell joined- me. Um, they were very small. They were on the verge of being disbanded. And because they were like notorious for like trying to always bend the rules. And because they were only 13 people, and they were on the verge of being disbanded because they were so small, they printed shirts that said uh, size doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, the shirts that they, And you had to get every bit of merch, all your society merch had to be checked by the dean of men
0: and like they're it. Checking
1: it, make sure that there's no pop culture references or nothing naughty and because they're just so oblivious he didn't realize that size doesn't matter was an obvious innuendo and so i just thought these guys were so cool because they got away with this very obvious innuendo on their shirts and so i joined the society that had the size doesn't matter t-shirts obviously
0: i am dying i am dying at that story that is hilarious okay Wow. So you're at Bob Jones. You're part of the rebellious crew with wearing your shirts that says size doesn't matter, which the dean has no clue what, no the, what that's actually alluding to. Um, and you were going to be a pastor. like Was that your degree? Well, no, so I was a marketing uh,
1: um, basically, you know, my whole life growing up, everybody's like, are you going to be a pastor like your dad? And I, yeah. even though I was in fundamentalism, I didn't know anything else. Sure. It wasn't really appealing to me. I didn't really like it. I just thought that that was what I had to be in. That's what Christianity had to look like. At Bob Jones, even though Bob Jones was not really mainstream evangelical, was fundamentalist, I was exposed to mainstream yeah. evangelicals. I had some buddies who were like normal Christians <laughs> um, who were like, oh, dude, you've got to listen to this guy, Tim Keller. No, Mark, Mark Disco, bro. It's crazy. Like, he says cuss words occasionally, you know? Bro, he is yeah. cutting edge, dude. Look yeah, at this yeah. cool, like, fossil watches he wears while he preaches, bro. Like, he's got an affliction t shirt while he preaches, right. bro. Like, no yes, khakis. Yeah. No khakis. Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) Yeah, he's got, you know, he looked like he shopped at the buckle um, and he like preached the gospel. And so it's like, oh, so I could still have the theology that I was supposed to have, but I could like dress a little cooler and be a bit more normal in my presentation. And because I guess I was too afraid at the time to question any of the dogma. Yeah. But I did like the vibes were off here's a weird thing about fundamentalism like a bob jones the difference between evangelicalism and fundamentalism it's not the fundamentals mm-hmm. bob jones and mainstream evangelicalism believes all the same things about inerrancy about the doctrine of atonement penal yep. substitutionary atonement uh, all of those things are going to be the same between fundamentalism and evangelicalism the difference is fundamentalists um, it's, it's all the non-fundamentals. They're going to wear suits. They're going to, you know, care more about which version of the Bible you're using. It's all the little details they're just a little weird about. And all that stuff, I was like so over it. And so for me at the time, a big progressive step was a- exiting fundamentalism and becoming a mainstream evangelical, disappointing my father in that way. Um, but I wasn't prepared for any greater disappointments at the time. It was like the most I could fathom moving away from sort of home base was becoming a mainstream evangelical.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you um, helped the audience kind of understand the difference and also the similarities between fundamentalism and evangelicalism. Um, those are two very broad terms, and even the term evangelical is very hard to define. But I think it's also important for folks to to note what you just said, um, with the difference being, at least early on, now it's really more merged these days, but uh, back in the day when fundamentalism was a thing and really opposed to evangelicalism, they were opposed because of, of evangelicals. Uh, willingness to engage culture. You know, fundamentalism was much more a reclusive theology of, hey, like the world's going to burn. Uh, we got the fundamentals. We need to stay insular and not like be affected by the world. And then people like Billy Graham come along and they're like, actually, we should be engaging culture. And now the whole thing is just kind of a smorgasbord. It's, it's all intermingled. But people, you're exactly people, right. You know,
1: When they find out that at Bob Jones, we considered Billy Graham to be like a liberal compromiser.
0: <laughs> right. Well, that makes sense because Bob Jones yeah. did not like Billy Graham. <laughs> like he was no, pretty no. emphatic was about like that, you know?
1: Of what we were against almost, which is so silly now. So yeah. you can see why, for that reason, it did feel like a, a big step for me at the time totally. to totally. sort of exit that world and become a more mainstream evangelical. Um, and in some ways, you know, I think that I was wired. I think some people are just wired to be sort of boundary-pushing people. They're, they're more progressive in their mentality, less maybe contained in boxes. I think that's the way I was wired. But having taken that step... Um, And then becoming a pastor, helping start a church, an evangelical church, I think I got a little bit locked in because I took on that mantle of pastor uh, Mm. back when I was 23, 25, I was 25 25 when I helped start a church. Um, And, you know, at that point, then having a community on my shoulders and being locked into those relationships and that job, um, I didn't even consider that maybe my evolution wasn't over yet, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. No, I am. I definitely understand that for sure. Um, Let me ask you this. What was your like how how forgive this might sound kind of weird, but like how committed to Jesus were you in that time? Because like, I think about myself in those moments where I was like everything I was doing was flowing out of this understanding and belief about Jesus and my commitment to following Jesus the best way I knew how to do that, which happened to be how my evangelical culture kind of taught me to. So, you know, my ministry, the kingdom work, et cetera, me drumming at church all had heavy spiritual connotations and it was because I really loved it. I didn't feel pressured to do it. I just, out of an overflow for my understanding and love for God, I found myself all in at a church. For you, did you feel like, hey, I feel called to ministry? Was it more, you know, for you, like your own cultural maybe pressure from like your your, your dad or whatever else? Or was it kind of a smorgasbord or a combination of both?
1: I'm sure there's a combination of both, but I did, I was, so for me, I, I think growing up it was guilt um, okay. and it was fear. Uh, the initial way in for me was fear of hell like that was the initial six-year-old you know and i I mean i had for those first 10 years of my christian life from 6 to 16 it was uh every weekend or every revival service you know every time the sinner's prayer was being prayed and the guilt was being laid on thick there was no assurance there was only fear um and so i wouldn't call that like some loving relationship with jesus (laughs) sure Um, but i think when i did discover some evangelical voices that we're, I mean, in fundamentalism, the preaching is often just so con- con- condemning. It's so much about your failure. It's so much about what you didn't do and what you were supposed to be doing. And it's yeah. very much a list of rules based to like, and it's all behave. It's often just behaviors. I remember even at Bob Jones, we would have chapel every day. So I heard preaching every single day. We heard a sermon at chapel. And I, after I started listening to guys like Tim Keller and I could compare like that with what yeah. was happening. I, I got a little judgy in the sense that I'd be like this these motherfuckers they they went a whole week of chapel service and they didn't say the name of Jesus one time these guys just told us what to do all week and I began to fall in love with the idea of it's not just about what we're supposed to do it's about what Jesus has already done which yeah. is kind of the whole like gospel coalition gospel centered thing yeah. which was so refreshing to me because of what I was grown up what I had grown up in it wasn't about the, like just resting and just what Jesus has done, just to celebrate the grace, you know. And so there was something really that captured my heart in that because it it seemed like it was really different from the fear that I that I was raised in. And so I think I yeah I, I was all in. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I was almost like I was preaching the good news to my my like younger, my inner child self that only yeah. just heard some fear based preaching. Yeah. And so that was like refreshing in that way until I think I saw the dark side of that too in terms of how many people evangelicals leave out with that message.
0: Yeah, well, just to kind of reiterate your point, Eric here says, I became a Christian at four years old and went forward for years because I I didn't want to burn forever. And frankly, I think that um, a lot of people probably watching and listening to this um, feel that. I mean, I certainly did. I certainly was one of those people who, you know, prayed the prayer every single time it was an option. I just, you know, the, the thought of burning in hell forever was incredibly scary. Right. And especially when you're young and you're a child, you know, you believe it because adults who have authority in your life are telling you how the world is. And, and just, you know, they treat it as like an objective reality, like gravity. Weird. So I think for a lot of people that was their gateway whatever, you know, uh, entrance into this thing. And then I think for those of us who maybe through our teen years and young adult years really started thinking, okay, I have to own my faith, not just make it, you know, not just make it my parents faith, but make it my own. And then you, I think maybe even subconsciously, out of necessity, you start looking for other voices to try and square, you know, yeah. a lot of things, what you're understanding about life, you know, the the thought that maybe it's kind of weird that God is quote all loving, but also damning most people to burn in hell forever. Like, how does that work out, right? And so I I think your progression makes a lot of sense. Where Tim Keller, for example, right, or even Francis Chan, the way that 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 they would present things is much more maybe not so fire and brimstone. Now they might still hold those beliefs. right? Right, to be clear, Ooh. but but they're not gonna tell you that up front, and they have a much better way of communicating the love of God and focusing on that more than the wrath of God burning your friend forever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean it ultimately it's the same message. And so you get to yeah. feel like you're not compromising on yeah. those because that's a big thing. And that was drilled into me was like because because i know the way that evangelical well christians in general the way that they talk about people who compromise like liberals and they've backslidden they've compromised the truth they've given up on objective truth (laughs) we're
0: lukewarm
1: god's word you're putting yourself over god's word like then you're making yourself god i can't have tell you how many people have said you're making yourself god simply because i've changed my mind about some things
0: yeah um 100 percent
1: and so there was a fear there. I didn't want to be accused of that. I didn't want to be accused of making myself God. That's, you know, I wanted to be humble. I wanted to be the person that like, you, you know, so you're trying to look for the most compassionate, true to yourself way to still hold to those beliefs that you're supposed to hold.
0: Right, right. So you're pastoring now, you're 25, you you help plant this church that becomes multi-site. You're listening to people like Tim Keller, et cetera. And as of this recording, you you know you, you one of your things online is that yeah you're a former pastor you're an ex pastor so you're no longer doing that. What was it like being a pastor at a multi-site campus? And for you, when did maybe some of the cracks really start to become um, unignorable?
1: Okay, so I would say the first crack. So I start we started the church in 2012, and 2015 was really mm. the the cracks. You know when when Trump. Um, but yeah, I'd say I had a few honeymoon years where yep. it was just amazing and I was just learning and I was just soaking it all in. And I just felt like it was so cool that people trusted me to be their pastor. And it was sure. you know, really special, really special memories. It to be is honest. amazing yeah. people. Um, tr- Trump's rise, I remember I'll never forget when he first announced you know, that whole speech where he like immediately had like racism out of the gate. <laughs> um, in his announcement speech, he, I forget exactly what he said about Mexican immigrants, but he said something <laughs> terrible. And I Um, I remember just thinking this guy's a joke. We're all gonna write him off the same way that like, you know, there were several people like Herman Cain type of guys who had like really quick spurts and then immediate downfall. Yeah, I just thought that was gonna be that. And I remember I used him as a sermon illustration that Sunday, maybe of like hubris or something. And I just felt like it was safe sermon fodder because like, we're all on the same page here. Like this guy's a buffoon, right?
0: Right, right.
1: And it was a few weeks later that, you know, not only was he not going anywhere, but he was seemingly to be the front runner. And I started to feel like, the people in my church were excited about this Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah that really struck me as odd and even then I saw it with my parents as well like my dad was initially like a big Scott Walker guy which listen I didn't like any of those guys but at least Scott Walker pretended to have like family values right
0: I like John Kasich I'm like he seems responsible you know like yeah I'm totally uh, there were many other options that were like fine I guess they were just fine you know that like came before Trump in my mind as well
1: and I, at the time, was not politically involved. I was somebody who was a conservative by default because I was told I was supposed to be a conservative. Mm. Yeah. And so, again, I was trying to hold these beliefs in the most compassionate way possible. So I, I liked Marco Rubio at the time because I was like, oh, he he tries to talk compassionately about people, but he's right. you know a conservative like we're all supposed to be. But to me, I'm almost thankful for the whole Trump phenomenon, selfishly. It's not good for the world, but it was good for my awareness of the world. <laughs> yeah. um, in in terms of me seeing things clearly, it took blinders off. It made me realize I can't trust all these people to interpret the world for me and just tell me what I'm supposed to believe because yeah. they think I should. They think I should trust that guy, and yeah. if they think that guy is good, then their whole definition of goodness is totally skewed. Um, now that that thought came later. I didn't immediately like throw out the entire sure. moral grid of evangelicalism, but it, that was the first crack for sure. Um, and for the for the years following that. Through Trump's presidency, I would say I got more politically engaged. I started to read, I started to figure out what do I actually believe? And it wasn't very long, I mean, that I became a socialist, that I was like, okay, I, there's actually Christian principles that point me in a totally different direction than where everybody else is going. Um, and so I would say that I felt like I was doing good in that I felt like I was able to weave in values that people were maybe not getting. From their daily intake of fox news on a sunday morning i was able to point them in the direction of the sermon on the mount of loving your neighbor of loving the marginalized and i I was so i i found like i i almost had a sense of i wouldn't say superiority but like oh i'm doing something like everybody else is preaching to the choir everybody else is just comfortable everybody else is just in churches with people just like them but you know i'm able to challenge some of these conservatives to maybe think in ways that they wouldn't ordinarily think so that they're not just you know it's not just group think and I think um, seeing the 2020 election, some of the people that were on the fence and they maybe weren't as passionate about Trump, they were on board that time. It was like every, it was all in. It was like if if a, if there was a group of Trump people, the first time around, the second time around, it it just felt it was it was a you know a critical mass. Um, the Trump voter parades that went through our town, I saw our church folk in them, and yeah, we. Yeah we as a, as a leadership team, as a multi-site church. So even though I led a congregation, I was kind of accountable to the broader team and we kind of all decided together. And I was kind of a dissenting voice in this, but I was, again, I was accountable to the team. We're not going to get political. We're not going to mention names. We're not going to get specific. Um, And I was so uncomfortable with that. And it got more and more uncomfortable because it did feel like what's the point of us. If we're not going to talk about this, what are we going to fucking talk about?
0: Yeah. It was a very weird moment in my life um, when Trump hit the scene and the same people who taught me about purity culture were mad that I was publicly saying on my Facebook account, I can't f- vote for the guy on the cover of Playboy and the guy who was bragging on a hot mic about essaying women. Like, it was a topsy-turvy, upside-down moment of, wait a second, all I'm doing is holding Trump to the standards that you taught me to hold people in politics to. Like I, I was born in 88, so I was not super old when Bill Clinton and all that stuff happened, but I remember enough to know that evangelicals were furious, and Billy uh, Franklin Graham came out with the statement saying, "How can we trust Mr. Clinton to lead the nation when he can't lead his own household?" Right, and I'm like, "Wait a second, guys! Like you know that 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 when the shoe was on the other foot." You and I think rightfully so took him to task for what he did. I mean, you could even call that essay given the power dynamic, right? That that was present there. I'm all. I, I would never vote for Bill Clinton if he was ever able to run again. I would never vote for the guy. He's he's. You know what he did was un, was unconscionable. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, but because it's it's this dude. I'm, I'm the one who's wrong here. It was mind blowing to me.
1: Yeah, dude. I learned, I learned what a blow job was in my kitchen because my mom religiously listened to Rush Limbaugh talk about more tapes. Not only that, we had the home sat tapes over here. We had the Rush Limbaugh, t- the cassette tapes. Oh, same, same, dude. Because sometimes you'd miss it, right? So every day she'd, she'd have the date and rush like with the date on the cassettes. And of course, Rush was talking about Bill Clinton, and you know, going into graphic detail about what he did in the Oval Office. And I, I think they had me listen for like social studies. I think I listened to Rush Limbaugh for social studies. So that's homeschooling for you, folks. Yep. Um, and and then that was my sex ed. Was my dad sat me down and explained to me what was going on here—the the stain on the dress, the, right. the whole line. Right. The, right. I, I didn't know what these things were. They had to be unpacked for me, right? And so, and I, I remember my dad telling me that you know what he did was unfit for the office that this character counts all this all the stuff right and so i called him out when you know after the access hollywood tapes and to hear my parents the same people that sat me down and you know criticized bill clinton for what happened with monica Lewinsky, to, to hear them parrot the conservative talking points and say this is just locker room talk literally my parents said that phrase that was really really tough for me and honestly it, it um That kind of thing throughout the movement, I lost a lot of respect for a lot of people. And it ultimately caused me to realize that I need to trust my own moral judgment on a lot of these things. Um, and that that's, that I have to stop maybe banking on the moral judgment of, of a lot of these folks.
0: Well, I mean, again, you know, Eric says it really well here. I'm going to make this a little, bit, uh, a little bit bigger. There we go. You know, Trump's 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 acceptance shook so many of us. And then my theology professors from Bible college are telling me I shouldn't speak against the Lord's anointed. And listen, I mean, I, I track Christian nationalism now almost for a living at this point. And like the the amount of language that is like that, this uh, hyper um, almost messiah complex that many evangelicals really have when it comes to Trump has only gotten worse, right? I mean, I'm not sure about you, Brian, but I thought after 2016 through 2020 happened and us seeing Trump's Twitter and his his take after take of just things that were blatantly not true, etc. I was like, oh, certainly. White evangelicals have learned their lesson that Trump is 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 an utter joke of a leader and should not be platformed. And statistically, more white evangelicals oh, yeah. voted for him in 2020. And so that was it looks when like they- Al
1: Mohler, who I used to listen back in 2015, 2016. I used to listen to Al Moeller's daily podcast, the Briefing, yes. where he would go through like politics and stuff. And he was very anti-Trump at the time, back in 2015, 2016. Um, and I, you know, I respected him for that. And then he, I mean, somehow Trump's presidency made him support him. I'm like, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing? And right. ultimately, it was about power, you know? It's about holding totally. on to some sort of cultural ideal. It's also, I think, pretty racist, you know? I think a lot of it has to do with changing demographics.
0: Hundred I mean, you can
1: point to a lot of different aspects of it, but ultimately it's gross. It's not about loving your neighbor. It's not about centering the marginalized. Uh, right. It's not about caring for the vulnerable.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, people often ask me, they go, I don't get it, like, how did Trump happen? And the more I learned, the more I'm like, listen... If you if you're thinking about this from like a like a typical Christian lens of like loving your neighbor and loving God, it's never going to make sense. But if you think about it from the lens of what will give them control and power, it makes complete sense, right? Um, and so I agree with you 100 percent on that point, Brian. It was you know it was an uh, an unfortunate wake up call, at least for me, where the smelling salts were so strong I had to look and say what's going on. Now my church at the time sounds kind of like yours, where they were kind of apolitical. I mean they were probably all conservative but they weren't like from the pulpit like you know MAGA country take america back right. it was more like we're not going to talk about this in fact during um during the black lives matter protest some people in my church even marched you know in in honor right. of george floyd and trying to fight for right. racial justice which actually at the time gave me a little encouragement right what was it like mm-hmm. for you for you pastoring a church and all that stuff when it comes to that kind of stuff for you
1: similar i think that um, i was thankfully not in a church where the leadership were not trump supporters they right. were probably sort of mainstream romney type conservatives for yeah. the most part yeah um and, and maybe even some of them more left-leaning than that but certainly not wanting to rock the boat i think there was a sense and I, I did i challenged you know the lead guy there a little bit about it because he knew of my growing discomfort and his approach was like listen um If we preach about this, if we call out Donald Trump, they're just going to leave and go to a church that's going to tell them what they want to hear. Instead, if we keep preaching the gospel and getting them into relationships, as we'll have opportunities to point to them, maybe some of the errors, like in relationship. And I I was basically like, hey, man, I I think that can be totally a a, a valid approach for you. I'm just growing increasingly. Uncomfortable. I'm unable to, to do that. I can't do that anymore because right. I was feeling like my silence was complicity. Because basically, if they're coming there and they're super Trump people and their pastor never talks about it, to me, that's a stamp of approval on their behavior. That's like he would be talking about this if it was a problem. Yeah. Because um, I talk about other things that I think are a problem. Right. And so I couldn't do that anymore. Well, let me ask you this. So we, we were good on, I mean, racial issues. That was a, a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. And we did preach on race like we did one sermon right and it was one of the most um you know we got we got horrible pushback from the whole church i mean both uh, my sermon i got a lot of emails the, the the other guy at the other site he the main site he got a lot of emails and i think he felt good about himself in the sense that like see we did the thing we pushed back yeah. we got the yeah. negative feedback we're, we're so brave but then it was kind of like let's not keep poking that bear you know we, we did the we did the sermon
0: yeah um that sounds about right and I tell pastors often whenever they talk to me, I say, listen, I I, I hate to be this person, but most of your congregants statistically are disciples of Tucker Carlson more than they're disciples of Jesus. Sorry, like that's just that's just like that's just data. Most white evangelicals, that the audiences of those folks are those people, uh, and Tucker Carlson and you know whoever else, Ben Shapiro has their ear for hours a day, most likely, and you get them for a forty-five minute sermon on Sunday morning. By that point, it, by 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 that point, it's just you're they're too far gone, and that's obviously a challenging situation because I like you, I get what that pastor was trying to say, but also like you, I'm like, well, we isn't this where we have to be bold and like push back and lead people. Did you feel that way? Because this is one of those things where a lot of the rhetoric of evangelicalism kind of folds in on itself, where you hear a lot of talk about being bold and not moving when culture moves and being able to speak truth to power and leading people well, even when, when it's uncomfortable. Then all of a sudden they're like, well, you know, we, we can't rock the boat and we don't want to lose people. It's like, wait, well, which is it? Are yeah. we bold or are we not? What, what are your thoughts on that?
1: They're bold when it comes to what they think are the most important things, which is, penal substitutionary atonement and the existence of hell. (laughs) They won't cave on those things. If you cave on those things, you're a compromiser and you're pushed out of the movement. Um, And so they think that that's boldness standing up for those things. I think when it comes to standing up for marginalized groups, there's not boldness at all. And yeah. so it's just it's just what they see as the center. And so that's one big shift for me as well, is a spirituality that prizes people over particular doctrines. And that actually sees the center of the Christian faith, not as believing these very specific views of how the cross formula works or what happens after you die, but actually believing that the gospel is good news for the poor. Right. Um, and so I think that, it's, you know, it depends what you think that center is that you're supposed to not compromise on. Um, and yeah. so if you if you think that the most important thing is make sure that people believe the right thing So they don't go to hell when they die then right. If you're afraid that if you talk about Trump too much or talk about marginalized groups too much They might leave and then they'll miss the main thing which is your sermon about the cross and the resurrection and heaven and hell Then you know, you don't want to lose that I think and so I right. think a lot of times the doctrine comes before people
0: Yeah all right. Well, let's get to it. So what was the moment where you eventually had to say, maybe we were forced to say, I'm stepping down, I'm out. This is, um, I can't do it anymore.
1: So the 2020, I think, was important for so many of us. There was a great resignation across industries, and I think there were a lot of pastors that resigned in 2020. Yeah. First of all, simply having any kind of pause. I mean, when you're a pastor, Sunday is always coming. You don't have time to really think that introspectively. You're working on your next sermon. You're studying the commentaries. It's always, you know, you always have to be ready for that next one. Right. So having that big pause to actually think, what am I doing? What am I a part of? What do I care about? What's important to me was was a big deal. And then simultaneously, that dovetailed with I think evangelicals really showing their ass like more than ever before. Um, Totally. When I looked around the country and it was like, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys? Who's loving their neighbor well and who's not loving their neighbor? Well, it was really evangelicals in this country that almost had the hardest time taking COVID seriously, taking loving their neighbor seriously during that time. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you add to that the the whole racial justice conversation uh, in the middle of that year. I did, like I said, I preached a sermon on race. I had to have a whole bunch of lunches with old white conservative men who wanted to send me Candace Owen videos and right. you know show me articles about why systemic racism wasn't real. That felt like a bit of a tipping point, point. Um, and ultimately, I I wanted to just have a have a pause to relook things, and so I, I did. I put in my resignation, um, and my initial thought was that I was going to. Um, sort of go back to seminary and revisit ministry potentially from a more progressive angle. Um, I ultimately um, stepped out of seminary to get a full-time job because I needed to pay some bills. And, yeah. you know, right now I don't have a plan to return to ministry. Um, I, yeah, it's inter- I have an interesting, re- my relationship with church has kind of evolved during that time as well, um,
0: being outside of it. When did you, when did you resign from the church? Like how, how recently?
1: October, 2020 was when I put in my resignation, okay. and then I, we had like a search, you know, and I I wanted to leave really well. I didn't want to leave the church in a bad place. So of course. I was able to, to leave in March, 2021 after we got another
0: guy in. The okay. Church. So you're about two and a half years now removed. Um, have you, have you been back to any other kind of church since that time? Yeah, I'm
1: in a great progressive affirming church. I, um, I have a great relationship with the pastor there. They're amazing people. The first Sunday I went, um, a, a lesbian preached, which was the first time I ever heard a lesbian preach, and she was amazing. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be really good for me. Um, mm. And so not, not everybody finds a church home like that. That's a really safe space. But I, I feel like it is. I will say this too. W- one of the reasons I had a hard time thinking about returning to ministry was that you know, I'm a, very aware of the fact that I think I would have changed my mind about some of these things a lot sooner had i not been a pastor yep. because of the weight of a community on my shoulders and also the financial i mean i'm i'm providing for my family to, to you'd have to leave a job leave finances leave a community all the web of relationships all yep. of those people are going to think and look at you think of you and look at you differently all of those pressures made it very difficult for me to objectively look at issues like lgbt affirmation when i would look at those issues i was typically looking at them to reinforce the position that we had as a church so that i could present it better and more compellingly yeah. And I don't care how objective you think you are, if you're being paid to uphold a statement of faith, there's a lack of objectivity there. And that's one reason, since I've not been a pastor, that's one reason I have a bit of a hard time thinking about doing it again, is I don't know that I want to lock myself into just a slightly different statement of faith, because it, it makes change difficult.
0: I, that being yeah.
1: well, I was Go just going to say the church that I'm in now, they seem to be, I've talked to my pastor about this. And. You know, I do think that there are faith communities that allow for change more than others. Is all I'll say. About
0: that. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a good point, and I, I, I feel like. Um pastors right now especially in the deconstruction space that we're like kind of loosely swimming in right they get like a really bad rap because we all think about like pastors that we know who are problematic like you know jack hibbs or the ifb or mark driscoll or something like that right but the the reality is like the average church the average pastor It's not like that for most of those people, and I think that we forget to have empathy for pastors who find themselves in these places where they're like, ooh, I kind of feel locked because if I – if I'm more honest about, about my theology, I could lose my job that pays for the health care for my kids and the salary and the roof over my head. And all I know is how to pastor. I don't have any other skill set besides that. So how do I go back into the the marketplace to find a job that can pay me what I need to take care of my family? Like it's just, it's not always that simple, right? And so even though I myself was never a paid pastor, because frankly, I saw the unrealistic expectations pretty quickly that many pastors have on them. Um, I, I sympathize and empathize with the, um, the unintentional like web you can find yourself in, right? Like, like maybe you didn't foresee this happening, but now that you're here, you're like, Oh shit. Like, uh, it's not actually as easy as I thought, or or maybe I didn't expect to change my view on this, but I know that I could end up losing my job if I do, so I better keep quiet. I'm not saying that is the... The only option, you know, many pastors take that risk and say, I'm going to stand on principle, but I get why, especially being a father myself, I get the pressure of like, I got kids to take care of. And it's not fair to those kids for their dad to lose his job and put them in a place that's really awkward and uncomfortable for them. I totally get that.
1: And I mean, it's pretty common for pastors' wives to not work in many circles that's expected that yes. the pastor's right. wife is almost like an unpaid job just being a pastor's wife um, and so that adds in an, another difficulty and I'll say that I wasn't aware of the way that my position as a pastor was probably affecting my inability to change my mind I wasn't aware of that until I quit it wasn't like I was yeah. this was not a conscious thing like oh I just I just want to change my mind but I can't because I'm no it wasn't until that pressure was off that I was able to see things just more clearly um, and so yeah I don't know
0: So this is really interesting because you're you know, you're, you're part of a more progressive church. Like you're obviously still a person who I'm assuming then would say I'm committed to the way of Jesus, you know, as best as I know how, or something like that. What is, what does faith look to you now? Uh, You know, I, I, or for you now, because I can tell you, I'm sure you, you've, you've gained a lot of followers very quickly on Instagram. I'm not sure how busy your DMs are, but I would imagine you're getting a lot of DMs of like, Oh my God, I feel so seen. Oh my God, that was my story. Oh my God, thank you for saying this. Um, and that's a different kind of responsibility, right? Like people all. Are, whether you like it or not, you have an, a different kind of platform that is online now, um, wow. and I mean, how you know what is how are you navigating that along with like trying to find better paths forward in your faith at the same time?
1: So I have been cautious to not present myself as like a spiritual guru.
0: Totally, I,
1: totally. I am, um, I'm not a pastor anymore, yeah. and one of the reasons is my my faith is in a very fluid place I still call myself a Christian um, where I'm at on a lot of the the dogmas of Christianity is pretty open-handed i I um, I do I I, I I love Jesus I think that there's like beauty in the way of Jesus I pretty um I would say agnostic on some of the finer points of of the Christian faith yeah um, in term but that doesn't stop me from remaining in Christian community. And so for me, my spirituality is very much a lived, it has to do with how we interact with others in the world and how we care for the least of these. Um, jesus said very clearly that when we when we encounter the homeless the imprisoned um the sick the orphan that's where we encounter him um and i ultimately think that the way that we know jesus is is through our actions in that way um and so that's basically my spirituality right now i i don't like claim to be some great prayer warrior i have (laughs) taken a break from the bible i will i will be honest with that that i have i'm not reading my bible every morning okay not doing my devotions or my quiet
0: how dare <laughs> you how dare you um, brian <laughs> i i'm not a pastor okay you let's can't all pray it. for brian right now friends daddy god yep. <laughs> um oh i had an important question to ask you about what you just said when it flew and away you said, like, daddy I, god. I it yeah right. <laughs> we
1: triggered everybody you triggered everybody with that one. <laughs>
0: You know that, That's part of my job. Oh, I remember it, it flew back to me. And then, friends, I see that you're asking a few questions, so we'll get to your questions in the comments. If you have any questions for Brian or myself, put them in the comments. We'll get to them in just a few minutes here. Also, if you are enjoying this conversation, give this channel a subscribe or a like or something. I don't know. I don't know how YouTube works, but just show some love somehow that we're doing this thing. That would be awesome. Um, I, Let me ask you this, Brian, because I... I it is a tension i live in i don't i don't want to become a fundamentalist all over again and become uh-huh. even like a, a christian supremacist all over again thinking that my way is the only way to see these oh. things however i i do chuckle maybe more than ever when i hear some of these evangelical like leaders who are well known use terms like we're just biblical Christians. We're just reading the Bible and applying God's word. And I'm like, have you read the Sermon on the Mount? Have you read James five? Have you read Matthew 25? Because you're right. Like when you actually start reading the Bible and also understanding how complicated and nuanced and how the Bible is not was not written in like one day but you know all that stuff that goes underneath of it you're like wait there's a lot of themes here of like how we treat the foreigner how we treat the oppressed among us how we treat the marginalized among us there's a lot of verses around you know rich rulers should stop oppressing their workers with unfair wages but somehow that stuff gets labeled like Marxism or something and we have to talk about how queer people are definitely not Christians because of I don't know the groomers or something does it drive? you absolutely crazy to hear that stuff
1: absolutely i mean everybody's picking and choosing we're all coming yes. to Bible yes thank you
0: book. yes exactly i agree sorry and
1: so i i am unabashedly picking and choosing <laughs> there are things in the bible that still really really deeply resonate with my spirit um and there are aspects of the bible that i'm a little confused about and i'm not exactly sure what to do with and that's okay i don't need you can proof text me all day you can send me <laughs> verses and say what about this i don't care if that if I read the verse, and I'm like, huh, oh, right. I don't know what to do with this. Guess what, I will not lose sleep at night. Right. I am going, I'm going to wrestle with the stuff that that resonates with my spirit. I, one thing that evangelicalism does not do it does not. It teaches you to trust your authority. It doesn't treat, teach you to trust your moral intuition. Right. And so something that I've learned is that I ignored my moral intuition on issues like LGBT affirmation, on issues like care for the poor and politics. Like literally when I first I remember first hearing about socialism as a kid and being like, that sounds good. And being immediately, <laughs> told, no, that's bad. I'm like, OK, right. that's bad. Okay. I believe you. Right. You're telling me it's bad. we're supposed to be conservatives and welfare, right. bad, caring for the poor. Like these things are bad. We're, n- we're not going to do good things because doing good things is actually bad. God. Right, like, right. I'm sorry. I, I trusted those people for too long. I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I, I think I am in the process of rediscovering a new relationship with the Bible. I'm, yeah, I'm very open to what it can be. I'm also, in my deconstruction process, it's been very important for me to not rush myself to land somewhere. Totally. Um, I've, I've definitely met a lot of people who have deconverted, I don't consider Mm -hmm. myself deconverted. I consider myself still a Christian, but I had to come to that place where I realized, oh, am I holding myself back from that simply because that would be bad if that happened? Like, it would be more morally bad for me to stop being a Christian. And I want to do the morally good thing and keep being a Christian. And I ultimately had to tell myself, no, I mean, when I meet someone who's not a Christian, I don't think that they're bad for not being a Christian. I don't think that that's more morally bad. And so I want to be intellectually honest and say, okay, I'm still a Christian because I want to be a Christian. Um, Not because of fear of, oh, I don't want to do the bad thing and lose my religion. Um, No. And so I'm, I'm still in, and what I tell anybody who says that I'm not a Christian is that, you know, they don't get to decide who's in and who's out. And if I'm a, I'm a Christian, as long as I say I'm a Christian,
0: you literally have taken the words out of my mouth. I, I literally have said from our platform and people who follow me know this dozens of times, we're all picking and choosing what we do with the Bible, what verses are prescriptive, which ones are descriptive. There's different hermeneutics and different ways of looking at this. This is just the world we live in. And by the way, this is the world of Christianity, right? I mean, Martin Luther yeah. comes across along as like, actually Catholics, like you have this whole Bible thing completely wrong. And you know, all this stuff, it is in our nature, especially as Protestants to protest shitty theologies and in yeah. beliefs that end up causing a lot of harm to people. This is in our yeah. DNA. And that's a good thing. What, what grinds my gears so Often is that I have found, and I'm talking um you know broadly here, but I found my the evangelical heritage that I that has shaped me not to be honest about the reality that they are doing the same thing that I have no problem admitting. Like, yes, I I am negotiating, hopefully in community and and with the wisdom of other other people and theologians who have gone before me, how to reconcile what do I do with these texts? And the example I often use, we can go back to Bob Jones with this actually, you know, if you, I actually have a sermon archived on my computer. Uh, It's a sermon from Bob Jones arguing that segregation is a biblical mandate and that if you are not a segregationist, you are ignoring the plain truths of Scripture. And literally, you can read his sermon, you can insert queer... For whenever he says black people, and you have the same Bible verses on his side. Right. Oh, he definitely does. And you can just insert queer for black person. You have the same argument that we hear today. And so there's really nothing new. What's funny is watching fundamentalists today be like, well, of course, segregation was bad. But, you know, this is definitely. Uh, you know, uh, prohibited by scripture. It's like your own fundamentalist tradition was built yeah. on slavery, on segregation, Absolutely. based on the Bible being clear. And anyone who sees it differently yeah. is a is a godless liberal. That is what drives me. I think maybe the most crazy.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I was saying this to somebody just the other day. It was like, um, you know, Jonathan Edwards is like every reform bro's favorite dude. He was a slave owner. If yeah. they if they're okay with Jonathan Edwards still being a Christian, then I'm pretty sure it's okay that I'm still a Christian. Like, right. what you can <laughs> right. you can own slaves. But you can't question penal substitutionary atonement? Come on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it is it is true. Anyway, I, I get to rant about this all day in other platforms. So I don't want to take up too much of, of the time but talking about my thoughts on this because I totally agree with you. I think that you're you're spot on. Um, what do you think about this whole like deconstructing deconstruction? I call it an explosion. People going all different directions. Yeah, I mean
1: it's th- like it's a movement. I mean, I, I think that people are waking up to a lot of things and questioning their backgrounds. I think they're realizing that a lot of it was built on fear and that they were believing things for the wrong reasons. And the, you know, I think it's awesome. And I, I hope that there's a lot of churches started on the other side of it that can, like be safe places for these people you know yeah Uh, i'm I'm curious what the church landscape will look like on the other side of this i i feel very lucky to be in a church community that feels really safe and loving and supportive and affirming of queer people and all kinds of people and a safe place to question it's a place where like my content where literally i'll I'll have a post where i'm just like you know some days i feel like i'm a christian some days i don't feel like i'm a christian and and that's okay and and you know some weeks i just don't want to go to church and that's okay and my pastor will like say hey brian i think you're doing a great job like i think that's really cool, and I feel right. lucky in that way. But a lot of people can't find churches like that. Um,
0: yeah. yeah,
1: And so I hope that as people leave the church, they'll find safe spiritual communities. And it doesn't always have to be in the church, you know? Um, but i do think there's a loneliness you know we have a loneliness epidemic and i think that church was for many of us a place where we found community i know for me the hardest thing in leaving was i didn't just leave my beliefs i left a whole web of relationships and friendships and that was not easily replaced it's still i mean it's still not really replaced in many ways you know um and so i i think that yeah, I, I think that people will have to find those kinds of communities. And I, I hope that people start the kinds of churches that um, can be safe
0: places for people, too. You know? Yeah, I love that. All right, friends, let's do this. Let's get to some of your questions. I have a few in here. If you have any questions, put them in the comments and I'll pull them up. This one comes from your friend, actually. Uh, oh, that's the wrong one. My bad. Let me get to this other one. That he, the same person that asked, asked it. it.
1: Pop up like that. I love that.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, I'm just so cool with my... stuff i don't know uh here we go um how have you managed family relationships especially parents who disagree with you in your evolution (laughs) you want to go first you want me to go first
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i don't know if i have a great answer it's not it's touch and go you know it's not good i I think i had to and honestly like like i said when i lost some respect after the trump years yeah, i always departed but there was a sense in which i had to come to the place where i'm gonna be me And I'm not gonna base that on the way that I know that other people are gonna react and think about me. I just had to come to that place. And I I wanna, for me, it's always love. I will never be, I'm not gonna call, I know they disagree, I'm not gonna call them out. I'm not trying to change their minds. I'm not trying to change anybody's mind. Just, I'm gonna be unapologetically where I'm at and I'm gonna accept you where you're at and if you can't accept me where you're, where I'm at, that's not a me problem, that's a you problem. Yeah. And I'm not sure we can do that, that maybe is a tough thing to do, but that's what I've had to do for my own mental health.
0: Yeah, I, I get this question pretty often, it's a pretty common question, a lot of um, people you know in in my age range are trying to navigate parents who in their minds almost like got radicalized uh, thanks to the Trump years you know maybe they were conservative I grew up like you on Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity but you know it was it was not nearly as volatile and as extreme as maybe it is now and what I tell people a lot is, I say listen, my, my parents, I'm not even sure how familiar they are when it comes to the work that I do. We don't really talk about it. And I had to make a decision and say, well, what am I trying to do here? Am I trying to have a healthy relationship with them? and? you know, and, you know, make sure that my kids are are in their lives because they want to be great grandparents and they are, you know, and my parents are not problematic in that way. They're very safe when it comes to, you know, how they treat my kids. That's not everyone's journey. What I tell people is, can you ask your parents to make room for you? Like how you're making room for them, because that's the only way forward, I think, for, for like, for long-term change I certainly was not shamed into changing my views uh, about the Bible or or queer inclusion it was people's stories it was people who were patient with me people who asked me questions at the right time and I think for some people and I'm one of them like if it comes between losing my family's relationships you know um, or saving them and just trying to love them well and trying to model a better path forward I'm gonna go with that as much as I can now luckily my parents they don't really shove their thoughts down my throat when I'm with them some people have that problem where their parents have no respect for their boundaries and what I tell people often is you have a right as an adult to set your own boundaries especially if you have kids right and I know it can feel for some of you out there like you're 14 again and it's hard to maybe stand up to your parents But there's a way to have that conversation that is built on the respect you have for them while also saying, hey, I need you to respect me as an adult, that this boundary here has to stay in place to save the relationship.
1: And I had to do a little bit of that. they, they started doing this funny thing where when they're around me and my kids, they pray all the time for like every meal, and not just the meals, like even the snacks. It's like, we're yeah. going to pray for a snack. I'm like, you got to pray for a snack. And they weave the entire gospel presentation into every prayer. Like, oh, oh, Lord, we thank you for this ice cream we're about to eat. And we thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for our sins. So that if we don't believe in you, and we can it. go to heaven and we die. And I'm like, you're trying to evangelize us right now. So I did I have know. to have a conversation with them. Like, guys, if you could not make it seem so obvious that you're on a mission field when you come over to my house, that would right. be really amazing. It. Um, and those conversations are hard, but I think drawing loving boundaries is something that we all definitely have to learn.
0: Dude, it's tough, man. My my parents are the same way. Uh, you know, they always pray whenever we're at their house, and that you know, and it's. I think what's tough for me is like, I know that for them, they're loving the best way that they know how. Like, I'm not saying it's right, but like, they really, at least in my experience, are doing whatever they think, whatever whatever it is that they're doing, out of genuine what they think is love for me or for my kids. And it's tough because I don't want them to feel like I'm rejecting their love. At the same time, it's like, okay, I hear you guys, but also, You know, like especially as my as our kids get older, I'm gonna have to have the conversation of like, hey, I don't want like you talking with them about like sin or hell. Like me and my partner can have that conversation, you know. But it's just tough because I know how they think. I grew up that way. I understand that burden that they have of thinking that the worst thought in the world is is their grandson burning in hell. I get that, but it's still very harmful and
1: problematic. Yeah, man. (laughs) I feel a sense of pity that they carry that, that they carry that that because I'm going down this path. My dad he asked me to take down my my videos about affirming gay people because he he literally said I am like my spirit is grieved for you because you're not just someone who believes the wrong thing you're a false teacher and the bible says that you're worthy of a more severe punishment. Um and so I I mean I, it sucks for him that he has to f- carry that but yeah. I ultimately had to say like I've got to do what's right in my conscience. You know, you've right. got to
0: right. you've got
1: to let me do that.
0: No, 100%. All right, let's go to another one. This is from Jen. What are you still struggling with when it comes to how you feel about evangelicalism or your beliefs and what gives you the most hope? Hope.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I am hopeful. The deconstruction movement does give me hope. I think it gets a little bit of hate. You know, people love to hate on any kind of movement. Um, Sure because I think whenever there's a movement, there's just gonna be a lot of different personalities and people will capitalize on it and and that sort of thing. Um, You know, there's gonna be a bunch of new books that come out and that sort of thing. And it's easy to just be cynical about about any kind of movement. But I think something's happening and it's happening for a reason. and so it gives me hope that there's a, a generation of people that are saying like, yeah, we, we want spirituality. We crave spirituality. We see beauty in the way of Jesus. But the way that the church has done it, it, it it's, it's not working for us anymore. And we have to be honest with that. Um, yeah. And so I guess I'm hopeful about that. <laughs> I don't know if I'm struggling with much about evangelicalism. I feel, if I'm totally honest, after two and a half years I feel very disconnected from it. I mm. I almost feel like I can't believe that was I was ever so deep in that, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Scott McKnight in his book The Blue Parakeet says that Every generation has to take the Christian tradition in their way and in their day and kind of push it forward. That's kind of like one of his points. And I love that, I mean, and he draws a very compelling case from history that every generation of Christians have done exactly that. And that has helped me, you know, feeling like how you feel, Brian, or it's just I kind of feel hopeful and like, hey, we have an obligation to do what we can to push things forward. And many people before us, not even evangelicals, just before us, broadly speaking, have done that in their own day and in their own way. I think for me, the one thing I'm struggling with when it comes to evangelicalism, honestly is the rise of Christian nationalism in those spaces Um, and just watching um, what an absolute threat to our democracy white evangelicalism is becoming because statistically about three quarters of the Christian nationalist movement comes from like the white evangelical spaces. And I'm not surprised because like you, I grew up uh, on talk radio. So the foundation has been laid, but watching groups like turning point USA and others really um, court major influential evangelical leaders, leaders in their mega churches. Um, it's a very concerning thing, frankly, because, um, January six in my mind was not a fluke. I, I think that we're going to only see more, more violence yeah. over time.
1: I, I have noticed this too. So I feel like because so many people are deconstructing, it's like the, the people that are staying are getting more and more fringe and more and more radical. Um, because if, if, if Trump, if that whole phenomenon, January 6th, like if that whole thing didn't like get you out of there and say, I cannot be a part of this, then you're still in it, which means at some level, maybe you're comfortable with that, which means like it can become a little, I think it's, it gets a little creepy.
0: Well, when you think about the baked-in persecution complex that evangelicalism has kind of baked into the pie—that hey, at, you know, at any moment uh, some Democrat can take away our Bible and our guns and throw us in jail—and the end of the world is happening at any moment—and our our freedoms are being you know taken away—when you have that uh, kind of already burned into the evangelical psyche, and then you have someone like Trump who's like, hey, I will give you your power back. I will make America great again. Um, I, it's a very compelling case for people who are who are already wired to believe. Believe that the whole world is against them, even though, again, data-wise, white evangelicals are some of the most privileged people to exist on the planet, especially in the U.S. But there is a theory... Um, not It's It's not, well, it's more it's like a, a political theory that, you know, the more a group um, loses power, the more radicalized that group becomes because they really per, they really perceive a real loss of position in power. So that's why I think January 6th actually happened, because you do. I mean, statistically, um, what they call ambassadors of Christian nationalists, it's a pretty fringe group. It's like 15, 10, it's between 10 and 15 percent of the population. That's like your Charlie Kirks of the world. That's, you know, that's your MAGA forever kind of of people uh so it, it's definitely not a majority by any stretch of the imagination um and the more that 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 group shrinks statistically the more radicalized they will become really feeling like like feeling like like, like the walls are closing on uh closing in you know uh towards them and so i do unfortunately anticipate more violence going forward hmm. it's understandable <laughs> Also, I think I, I read too much about this stuff. I talked to, talk to too many scholars who were like, "Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, this was a fun conversation. This was an interesting one, um, man. So, what, I mean, what do you think your future looks like? I mean, what, what do you do for a living? Are, is, are, you, are are you kind of? I don't know. I feel like you, at least in my circles, kind of came out of nowhere. I feel like your account on on Instagram. I'm not sure if you're on TikTok or not. Kind of blew up. Uh, like, is this what you do, like, for a living? I mean, what what, what what's the deal?
1: I'm a project manager. I have um like a boring ass business job. I Um, I, this was a surprise. This is like literally the last two and a half months, dude. This is a new, I started talking about it and what I was saying, connected with folks. And so I just, have kept talking. I've really enjoyed it. I think there's a part of me that missed being a pastor in a way. And I'm not a pastor, but like, you know, I'm talking into issues. I'm feeling like I'm a part of a conversation and that's been very stimulating for me. And so I'm currently exploring Ideas for what to do with this. I, <laughs> maybe we could talk offline. No, I, I am sure. starting a podcast, though, so I will announce oh, this. Oh, shit. I, yeah, okay. So Ooh. I, um, I, I, met, uh, I met a ton of great people, but I, I've been really been putting out into the universe. I've been praying for a, a co-host. Um, and so I encountered a girl who, you know, I wanted someone that was like a bit of a foil that brought something different to the table. I'm a straight, Christian, and she's an atheist lesbian. We're both pastor kids who deconstructed. Uh, she deconverted. I've I remained Christian. Um, but we, I think, both uh, have a lot of interest at the intersection of religion, spirituality, um, and really just beyond that, even just relationships and navigating change, navigating um, a lot of different life issues. And so we want to talk into some things. This is experimental for me. I've never done a podcast, um, but we're going to try to start some conversations um, and so it's it's got a bit of a tongue in cheek name. We're calling it Sacred Council uh, for backsliders and unbelievers, um, nice. for you know anybody really. Um, and we're, we want letters from readers or from listeners uh, where we can just get into whatever issues people want feedback on. Um, I think the the ideal thing would be maybe navigating things like leaving a church community or dealing with relationships with f- friends or family who are still in that, uh, or even particular issues that you're wrestling with. Um, maybe when it comes to Sex and Christianity and purity culture—all kinds of things that we're all dealing with—and so I am just going to try that, uh, see where that that goes. Just as a as an addition, that that's going to be where our first. We already recorded our first episode; it was a lot of fun, and that's going to come out next Wednesday. We'll drop it, and hopefully every Wednesday after that, we'll see. And so more details will be in my Instagram. Um, beyond that, I um, I don't know what the future really does hold for me. I'm going to keep talking. Uh, could I see myself doing something in this world more for a living than I currently do? Maybe so, but it's it's hard to say right now.
0: It's awesome. still kind of well, I'm looking forward to hearing the podcast. And one thing I will tell you um that I think is really important. It is, in my estimation, very important that people who were on the inside are making content for the world outside of what we were a part of for a long time. There are a lot of great people who make some really good critiques of evangelicalism and even Christian nationalism, but they don't have that insider's perspective. They didn't They, they didn't help make the sausage, so to speak. And we need people more than ever to really speak about, hey, I I was in. Like, I helped build this wow. thing. Here's how these systems work and here's some of the dangers and here's why we should be concerned about them. That's important now, I think, more than ever. Um, And so people like you and many others, I think it's very important work that you keep doing.
1: That's cool, man. Yeah, that's been interesting to hear. I hear from people all the time who say, I I haven't deconstructed because I was never in this at all, but I love your content. And I'm like, I don't know what you think about it, but I think that's great. Right. Uh, (laughs) So I think it is interesting from an outsider's perspective. They're kind of watching this and saying, there's some weird stuff going on, and I'm glad people are talking about it. 100%. Yeah. Hey, Tim, it has been such a pleasure getting to know you, man, and to chat about some of this stuff. It's so fun.
0: Let's definitely keep in touch. So we'll definitely talk offline. I can definitely offer any advice I can tell you because I very much like you, I just kind of walked into this one day on Instagram and boom, here we are now a nonprofit later. And it's been a crazy journey. So uh, Brian, where can folks follow you? Are you on TikTok? Are you on Instagram? Why don't you go ahead and put your name away?
1: I'm on Instagram, B-E-Record, Brian Eugene, wrecker r-e-c-k-e-r so b-e wrecker is my instagram handle um i have a TikTok that i need to use more so i know that that's where like it's supposed to be happening i you know i've got a full-time job and i've got a bunch of kids so it's tough for me to maintain a bunch of platforms um Maybe we'll get there. Yeah, there, there I am. There
0: you go. That, that's where he is, friends, Brian, our BE record. Yeah, dude, if it helps you, one piece of advice, just post the same video on TikTok and on Instagram. Problem solved. Oh, right. That's what I do. <laughs>
1: I, I, I have started putting a few over there, but it's, there's not a lot going on over there.
0: Right yeah, now. that's all right. Brian, it was great. Let's definitely keep in touch, and thanks a lot for your time. Thanks, Tim. You got it. All right friends, there you go. My conversation with Brian Recker. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. I really enjoy these lives. I enjoy um, I enjoy so much having like a live audience and being able to talk to just you in real time while I'm talking to a guest. So thanks for being here. Again, if you like this channel, please give us a subscribe. We're really trying to grow the YouTube and trying to get a different kind of audience and platform with this long form content. Also, we are a nonprofit organization, which means we are supported by donations. That's how we operate. We don't do anything behind a paywall. We don't do anything behind a Patreon. We do everything completely paywall free. And the generosity of people like you are able to make this work possible. Right now, during the month of September, we're doing a giveaway we're calling it the many hands make light work giveaway any donation of thirty dollars or more or any monthly donation of five dollars or more gets you entered to win some pretty fun and cool prizes like co-hosting a podcast episode with me or our first ever tne mystery box so you can click on the link in our show notes to donate (coughs) excuse me All donations in the U.S. that are made are tax deductible. Friends, I would love your feedback. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Shoot me a message. Tell me how you think this went. We'll talk to you all next time. Have a great evening.